Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. In the last two weeks, Aaron has talked about pause, and those have been really good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like his biggest fan, but even that, like those are good sermons, right? So if you miss them, uh, go and podcast those because they're really good. And today, we're going to talk about what we should do after we pause. Well, we're going to talk about how the next thing that we should do, and really it's, it's, it's actually like kind of the most natural thing to do after we pause, is that we should rejoice, We're going to talk about rejoice. Now, this is a really big deal because many times our prayers sound like this. Dear God, please help, right? Dear God, please heal my grandma. Dear God, please help me on this test. Dear God, please keep my kids out of trouble. Dear God, please make the surgery go well. It's a quick dear God, and then it's a big ask. And then oftentimes that sums up our entire prayer life. And then we wonder why our prayers feel stale and cold and and why God feels distant, you know, why we almost never actually feel any better after we pray, even though people tell us that we should. So uh, I think it is because when we pray like that, it is equivalent to giving your spouse a to-do list every time you see them. Right? You might like to call it a honeydew list to like sweeten it up a little bit, make it sound a little, a little sweeter. Um, but we all know what it is. It's like this cold and stale list of things that I need you to do for me. It's honey, please do this. Honey, please do that. Right? Now, for all kinds of reasons, I have never felt comfortable giving Aaron a honeydew list. I think both of us grew up in households where they were like very important. And I was like, we're not doing this. Um, But I know a lot of people have them and really they're not bad. I get it. Households have to organize. Um, But can you imagine what it would be like if you never talked to your spouse outside of that list? You know, can you imagine if the only way you ever communicated with your spouse was to ask them to do something or ask them to add something to their list? Like, dear Aaron, please take out the trash. And then you see him later on. Hey, give the kids a bath. Oh, would you add pulling the weeds to your list? Oh, and clean the garage and and scrub the toilets. And thank you. Right? Like, if that was the only way that I talked to Aaron, what kind of relationship would we have? Not a very good one, and maybe not one at all. So then why do we treat prayer like it's some giant honeydew list that we send to Jesus? You know, this is why we have to take a step back and think about what it is we're actually doing when we pray. Because prayer is not meant to be transactional, it's relational. And we've talked about this a lot over the years. It's very helpful to remind ourselves that prayer is not just this transactional thing. It's a relational thing. And this is why it's so important that in our prayer lives, we move past, dear God, please help. Because just like in any relationship, time and communication is the key to a good relationship. Like that's, that's what they need. You know, I remember when Aaron and I, we were long distance for a year and a half and these things were like, we did whatever we could to talk to each other as much as possible and to get a, get time together anytime we could. Time and communication are key to building a relationship. And guys, that's what prayer is. 
right? It's spending time with God. It's enjoying being with God. It's experiencing this give and take where you talk to God and you listen. It's expressing your love for God and it's experiencing his love for you. Prayer is how we deepen our relationship with him. It's how we enjoy our relationship with him. In the Westminster Catechism, it states that the primary purpose of man, the purpose of our lives, it says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what has been stated that we are made to do. And so today, when we talk about taking time to rejoice in God, this is what I'm talking about. It means to glorify God and enjoy him. So C.S. Lewis says, um, he said, in commanding us, to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. He's saying these two things go hand in hand. When we glorify God, it leads us to enjoy God. This is why when we pray, way before we ask him for anything, we should pause, which is to acknowledge his presence, and then we should rejoice, which is to bask in his goodness. We should pause, acknowledge his presence, and then, and then we should rejoice, which is to bask in his goodness. Now, how, how do we do that? And I love that this book that we're following is a very simple how-to book. We all love a good how-to. Like, just tell me what to do, and I will do it. This is why we love YouTube so much, right? I need the how-to. So, so how do we rejoice? Here are three ways. Rejoice in who he is, rejoice in what he has done, and rejoice in all circumstances. So, how do we rejoice in who he is? Now think about this for a second. The thing about pausing is that once we finally stop the hustle and bustle of life, like once we finally stop our busy lives and we stop looking down and we stop rushing from one thing to the next, we can finally pause and look up and look around and catch our breath. And when we do, we will notice how good God really is. Because the thing is, the whole universe is displaying the goodness of God like at all times. All we have to do is like stop for a minute and notice. All we have to do is be like quiet for just a second, sit still for just a minute and notice. Psalm 46.10, it says, um, be still and know that I am God. And then the very next sentence, it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Basically, he's saying like, if you will just sit still for one second and notice me and notice that I am God, you, you won't be able to stop yourself from rejoicing in me. Like, just sit still long enough to see me for who I am, and then as a natural overflow, you will rejoice in who I am. Okay, for me, it's as simple as this. Like, I'm usually the one who takes out our dog at night before we all go to bed. And um, I actually like doing this, though uh, you don't need to tell my family that. I act like it's a huge chore, um, and I'm blessing all of my family. But I actually like doing it because what happens is I take the dog out, and while he goes in the grass and he does his business, I stand in the middle of my driveway, and I look up. And it forces me to pause. And it forces me to see the incredible night sky, the incredible stars and the moon and, and everything in it. And, and every single time in the middle of my driveway, I just take a deep breath and I think, wow, God, you are amazing. Every time, every night, how could you not? I just sit, sit there and think, God, how great are, is your creation? How great are your ways? How great are you? Like taking pause for just a second, looking around for just a minute will cause us to rejoice in God. Now, here's the thing. No one walks outside and looks at the night sky and, and takes it all in and thinks, wow, I'm amazing. Like, like, does anybody do that? No, no, you don't do that, right? 
You don't do that because, you know, you don't go outside and think of how perfect everything is and think, I know all the answers. Like, I know how all this should be done. Like, no, like it's humbling to go outside and see who God really is, see that he is the creator. We don't sit sit there and think we're awesome. No, God, God's creation teaches us that God is awesome. God's creation teaches us that we are to be in awe of him in every way. And it kind of puts us like in this right place where we just worship. The same thing happens when we see like incredible blue skies or incredible mountains or oceans, or maybe for you it's lakes or waterfalls or rainbows or whatever it is. And this is why sometimes the best thing we can do for our prayer lives is to go outside and experience the greatness of God's creation because it reminds us of the greatness of God. This is an incredible few verses in Psalm 19, 1 through 4. Listen to this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. God's creation teaches us who God is. And the more we know who God is, the more we will want to praise him for who he is, the more we will enjoy him for who he is. And that's what it looks like to rejoice in him. So creation helps us do this, um, but also scripture helps us do this as well. Scripture reveals to us who God is. And again, just like before, the more we know the word, the more we will know who God really is, the more we will want to rejoice in him. Now, I've read so many things lately about this one simple truth that is like really profound. Um, It's getting a lot of traction. A lot of people are talking about this. The truth that how you see God and how you think he sees you will affect literally everything in your life. And I'm seeing how this is true in like my life and, and a lot of your lives. How you see God and how you think he sees you will affect literally everything, like every relationship, every career move, your heart, your mind, your soul, literally everything, which is why it is so important that we get this right. And we, we get this right when we study the word, because the scripture teaches us the truth about both of these things. Scripture teaches us how we should see God, and it teaches us how, how God actually sees us. So in Matthew 6, 9, uh, Jesus said, he said, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so right off the bat, scripture reveals to us that God is our father. This is a big deal. Jesus himself told us that when we pray, we should call God dad, which is like really personal and really beautiful. It means that that we're supposed to know him as our father, that we're supposed to relate to him as our good and our perfect dad. And there are like a millions of sermons that we could preach about this, right? About God being our father and our dad and all this stuff. But what I want to emphasize right now is that reminder that our relationship with him is a, it's a relationship and, and, and it's not one we should just take for granted. We should not just go to him when we need something. We should go to him because he's our dad, because we love our dad. I remember when I was a kid, my mom made it a practice in our home that when dad came home from work, we all had to stop whatever what we were doing and go run to greet him at the door. It did not matter if we were into something. It didn't matter if we were doing homework. It didn't matter if we didn't feel like it. Dad was coming home and we were all going to run to the door and we were going to greet him because that's how you love people well. You know, you're glad that they're home. You're not taking their presence for granted. 
And I thought that was such a beautiful practice that when we grew up and had kids of our own, I was like, we're doing this in our household. And so every time Aaron came home from work, we're running at the door and we're greeting him. We're so happy to see him. And it's sweet because then our um, Aaron and the kids did it for me too. And I remember growing up, I was like, our kids are so good at this. I felt like a rock star coming home to my house like every 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 day. I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, we were so good at this for so long, but full disclosure, like we're not as good at this as we used to be. I just, we just don't care anymore. I don't know what it is. Like we're just not as good, right? We try, you know, when we think about it, um, we still do it. To be honest, our dog now is the only person who does this every time, right? He's the only consistent one that will greet us at the door and wagging his little tail, excited to see us. And you know what? He is a joy to come home to. You know what I mean? You're like, this is incredible. So the moral of the story is you need to be as happy to see God as your dog is to see you. Okay? That's the moral of the story. No. You get the idea. The idea is to, to not take the presence of God for granted in our lives, but to like greet him and love on him because he is, he is dad and he is a good, good father. You know, to, that when we're in his presence that we should love him and adore him and enjoy him and delight in him just because of who he, he is, not because maybe like there's something we need. Dad does like that. And, and the good news is that the Bible teaches us that not only are we to delight in our father, but that he delights in us too. And again, this is something we need to know because it affects everything. How you think he sees you, he delights in you. That's what the word teaches us. I, I was on this retreat um, when we were at Lee University. We had to go to these like annual pastoral retreats for all the pastoral ministry majors. And uh, in this one retreat, the speaker told us all that we needed to close our eyes and we needed to picture something that, that, that we delight in. And I had to really think about that. I'm like, what does it even mean to delight in something, you know? And so thankfully he explained it. And he was like, you know, the thing that every time you see it or hear it or whatever, it just fills you with joy and awe and you're just like so happy and you just adore. And I'm like, okay. And so as I was picturing it, I pictured sunsets. I thought, I absolutely love sunsets. I delight in sunsets. And then, you know, being, you know, being the pastoral major, I'm like, okay, I know where this guy's going with this. You know, we're going to get back and he's going to say, okay, now whenever you think about that thing, you should think that you should delight in God um, just the way you delight in that. And he did. I called it, right? That's what he did. But then he added something else that was incredibly life-changing for me. He said, now, every time you see the thing that you delight in, I want you to remember that God delights in you even more. And that completely blew me away. Like I got the idea of like, I'm supposed to delight in him. I get that. He deserves that. But God delighting in me, I mean, it just seemed like too good to be true. But it's not. The scripture says it's true. Zephaniah 3.17. He says, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Scripture teaches us how God sees us. Scripture teaches us that he delights in us. This is important. Now, what's funny is that remember like just a minute ago, um, I talked about how no one looks up into the incredible night sky and thinks, wow, I'm awesome. Like no one does that, right? Um, okay, confession. Sometimes I do. But only because I first think, God, you're amazing. Then I remember this thing about the sunsets. Then I remember this scripture in Zephaniah. And then I'm in total awe, like that not only do I think he's amazing, but he actually thinks I'm amazing too. And now we're like having a moment in the driveway. 
You know what I mean? Like I'm pouring my love out on God and I'm experiencing him like pour it right back out onto me. Because that's like, that's prayer. That's, that's relational. I know all of that is true because of God's word and God's creation. Because this is why it is, we need scripture to teach us and to reveal to us the truth of who God really is. Because we have an enemy who is trying very hard to distort this picture in our minds. We have an enemy who wants to lie to us all the time, who wants to tell us very differently, who wants to tell us that God is not for you, that he's against you, that he doesn't love you, that he, all the things, all the things. I mean, the Bible teaches us like God is slow to anger, but how often do we just like feel like that's not true? We feel like he's mad at us, right? It's because we have an enemy who's constantly filling our minds with lies right? We know that God is abounding in love, but we're just always nervous that he's going to run out when it comes to us, right? We, we know that God is, is full of grace and mercy, but we're like, I don't know. I just feel like he's going to punish me when I'm least expecting it. And like, I don't, right? Or we, we tend to think that, that God is done with us or he's tired of us or we're out of chances. But guys, all we have to do is read the word to know that that's not true. All we have to do is read the story of the prodigal son to know that that's never true, Never true. We're going to learn that God's arms are always open, that we can always run to the Father, that we've never burnt too many bridges, that all can be forgiven no matter what, that we're always welcome. This is what's true whether we feel like it or not. We need to hold on to these truths about who God is because it's so easy for us to get it wrong, to get it messed up. And then when we get it wrong and we mix it all up, that's when it affects every part of our lives. And this is why when Jesus taught us to pray, he also said, he said, I want you to pray our father. He didn't say, hey, when you pray, say my dad or my God or my father. He said, pray our father. What he's teaching us is that praying and rejoicing is not just supposed to be a solo act. It's not just between you and God. It's supposed to also be a communal thing that you do. He's like, we need one another. We need the church. We need to speak truth into each other's lives when we're starting to doubt God or when we're believing lies. We need to set each other straight. We need to remind one another who God really is. And so, yeah, you can rejoice in God on your own. You should, but you shouldn't only do it on your own. We need each other. We need the church. We need to be together. We need to be taught the word. We need to study it together in small groups. We need to sing songs on Sundays together because when we do, we are reminding um, God who he is. I mean, we're praising God for who he is, and that is right and good, but we're also reminding our souls of who he is, which is right and good. We need that week after week. I mean, can we just be honest for a second? I mean, like sometimes you come to church and you are feeling it, right? And sometimes you go to church and you are not feeling it. I, I've been there. Like, I work here. <laughs> and I, it's like, yeah, like I need the church. I need the body of Christ. I need the worship lyrics to remind me who God is when I'm not feeling it. We need each other. We need each other to help us rejoice in who he is. Okay, so an important part of our prayer lives is to rejoice in who God is. And again, if you're not feeling it or you don't know how to do it or you don't know where to start, you can just go outside. Like ponder creation for a minute. You can turn to scripture, read the word. You can come to church. You can sing a worship song. These things will help you get a better picture of who he really is. And again, when you'll see that, you'll want to rejoice. Number two, we should also rejoice in what he has done. We need to rejoice in what God has done. Now, this is um, another really important spiritual practice. However, in order for us to worship in what God has done, we have to remember what God has done. And God's people are notorious for being bad at this. We're just like a forgetful people. 
right? And I don't mean like forgetful in the sense where you don't remember what you had for lunch yesterday. Like that's like apparently part of the aging process, okay? I mean, I mean for forgetful in the sense that we tend to forget all that God has done for us and, and for all his people and throughout all of time. And, and not like small things, but like big miraculous things. Things that when you experience them or you hear about them or you read about them, you think, I will never forget this as long as I live. And then you do, right? I mean, and what happens when we forget is that God loses out on the praise that he deserves and we lose out on this incredible faith that we would have if only we remembered. Uh, God has done countless amounts of miraculous and incredible things in his word and all throughout history and all throughout life and all throughout your life and my life and the life of this church. He has done incredible things. Our job is to remember them it's just to remember them. We always think we have better memories than we do. We always do. When you are a young mom, it is annoying how many people tell you that you should write everything down. You need to take all the pictures and write everything down and every cute thing they say, you need to write down. And, and you're thinking, I don't even have time to take a shower. You know, and, and then you're also thinking, uh, I'm going to remember this. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. I'm going to remember. That was so funny. I'll remember that as long as I, you think you'll remember everything. But fast forward, guys, I remember nothing. I don't, I mean, maybe it's trauma brain or something from having, I don't remember anything, you know, about having babies. Uh, Aaron's sister has four kids and she was meticulous with the first two, like writing everything down. And this is when you lost your tooth. And this is when you had your first potty training. I don't know the whole thing. Right. And she said by number four, she went back and filled in random dates for kid number four and then confessed it later. Oh, we don't remember. The thing I do remember about my babies is uh, what they weighed because they were enormous. And so we talk about it a lot. Um, and so that's the thing. We remember things that we talk about a lot, that we pass down a lot. I don't remember what size they were, or how many inches, or I, nothing. I, I only remember what we talked about all the time. This is why we have to do a better job, guys, of writing things down, writing the blessings of God, writing the down the answered prayers, and like passing them down, you know, from one generation to the next, talking about it all the time. David did this so well. Uh, Psalm 103, 1 through 5, he says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. So first of all, what's really cool here is that David is like commanding his soul to praise God. It's kind of like when you get up and make yourself go to church. Like, I will go to church and I will praise the Lord because he is God. You know, it's like, I, you might not be feeling it, but you're like, I'm going to do this. And then verse two, he says, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Again, he's commanding his soul. Remember what God has done. Don't forget what he has done. And then he starts naming the things. He starts in verse three, he, he forgives all of your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfi satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, is rejoicing in what God has done. It is a common practice in scripture and should be a common practice for us. And it's really fruitful for us because remembering what God did yesterday will strengthen us today and will give us faith for tomorrow. Remembering what God did yesterday will strengthen us today and it will give us faith for tomorrow. I mean, it's, it is a total game changer 
whenever you're facing a crisis or a hard situation, and then you can actually recall what God has done in the past, and in the moment it builds your faith, and then you can say, you know what? God has done it before, and he can do it again. That is a different attitude to walk through life than being so nervous and everything's going to crumble. You're like, no, 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 no. I know who God is. I know what he's done. He's done it before. He can do it again. And think about this. I mean, think about how many times maybe God has delivered you from like a financial struggle, right? And you just thought, oh man, there's just no way. But then God provided and he just made this way and it was incredible and you'll never forget it. But then you struggle again. Fast forward a couple years and you have this struggle and you're completely freaking out and you don't know how you're going to pay for the new air conditioner or whatever. Like you just don't know. But, but you're, you're having all those moments because you forgot. You forgot what he did then. You forgot that he can still do it again. I have to keep learning this lesson when it comes to church. Do you know how terrifying it is to lead a church and oversee budgets that are like all faith-based? Like we don't bill you people, right? Like there's no collections. Like we're just hoping everybody like wants to be faithful and give to the mission of the Lord. And like after, it's crazy to me. You know what I mean? The whole thing is crazy to me. After 19 years though, you know what I found out? God provides. I to, for the life of me, I don't know how. Honestly, I don't know how. But he provides. And now when I get nervous and we're doing this building thing, we're doing, I'm starting to freak out. I'm like, you know what? I just remember God has done it before and he will do it again. The same goes for medical issues or family issues or big decisions you have to make. Just remember what he's done before. He's led me. He's healed me. He's guided me. He hasn't walked. He hasn't let me down. He's walked me through a lot of hard things. I said, God, you've done it before. You can do it again. A great way to pray this um, is to just pray through the Psalms because, again, a lot of Psalms are really good about this. It is a common practice. And this, this is a clear picture in Psalm 145. This is a really clear picture of what it looks like to rejoice, to rejoice in who God is and what he's done. Uh, again, this is David. He says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He is compassionate on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Now that's how you rejoice. I mean, isn't that a good way to start a prayer? Now, all of that is really good for, um, for a believer. Like you have stories, you have testimonies, you, um, you've read the Bible and all these things. But, but what's incredible is I'm going to tell you a story about an unbeliever who had an incredible encounter with God that all started because she simply noticed for the first time what God had done. And so this is a true story um, about a, an avid atheist who became a first-time mom. And when I say avid atheist, I mean like she was all the way atheist. Like her parents raised her to be this way. Uh, her parents literally read her bedtime stories about scientific material, materialism. Like this is all she knew. Like there was no God and she was resolute. Until one night, she was in her newborn's nursery. 
and she was rocking her first child. And two incredible things happened. Number one, as she was staring at her miraculous, beautiful newborn, you know, she had this like realization. She said, there is no way that this baby that I'm holding is just some random combination of chemicals that happen to fall together. She's like, there's just no way. And the second thing that happened is that she felt so overwhelmed with gratitude for the first time in her life that she was absolutely compelled to thank somebody. She's like, I have to give thanks. I'm so thankful. I have to thank someone. And so for the first time ever, she knelt in the nursery and like audibly praised God for the first time. And she said in that moment, the presence of God and the love of God filled her room so tangibly that she knew she wasn't alone. She knew he was real and she gave her life to Jesus Christ right then and there and has never doubted God since. Even for an unbeliever, just like pausing and noticing and seeing what God has done will cause you to rejoice in him. Okay, so rejoicing is about rejoicing in who God is and rejoicing in what he has done. And finally, it's learning how to rejoice no matter what circumstance we're in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I love this verse because how many times do we find ourselves begging God, like, what is your will for our lives? And he's like, I literally tell you in this verse, this is my will for you. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And when I read this, I think, oh, like it's really good to know what God's will is for my life. It's good to know what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it. And in fact, it's actually really hard to rejoice always, no matter what the circumstance. It's really hard. But you know what? I can point out several people in our church who do this so well that it inspires me and it challenges me and it assures me that this is possible. Four of them are going through cancer right now. They are battling cancer right now. And I'm telling you, I've never seen anyone rejoice more than I've seen these people rejoice in all my life. And what I'm seeing is that it is like so good for them. It is for their souls. It's good for the Lord. And it's also good for like all of us. I need to see them rejoicing when things look so terrible. And so what I've learned is that it is possible that, yes, it's hard, but it can be done. But it requires us to do something. It requires us to trade in our microscopes for telescopes. It requires us to trade our microscopes for telescopes. Let me explain what, this, what I mean by this. A microscope, think about it. What does it do? It takes very small things, and it makes them look huge, Right? And so often when we encounter difficulties, our prayers become 100% about the hardship. It's like it's all we can see, and we stress ourselves out. We make ourselves sick, and I know this well because I've, I've been there. But what we're doing is that we're staring at our problems like we stare into a microscope, and we get so hyper-focused on this one thing that we just blow it out of proportion, that, that, that it becomes irrationally and unnecessarily magnified in our lives, so much so that not only is it the biggest thing that we see, but it's like all we can see. It's hard to rejoice like that. It's hard to rejoice when all you can see are your problems. However, in contrast to that, what happens when we look into a telescope? Well, a telescope takes big things and it makes them apparent, 
right? For example, like when I am in the driveway and I'm looking up at the moon and the stars and everything, they actually appear kind of small, you know? Like the stars are like, yeah, big, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's kind of... But like then you look into a telescope, right? And all of a sudden you can start to grasp like how huge they are and, and how huge the universe is and therefore how huge the God of the universe is. And this is so important because the bigger we realize God is, the smaller our problems will become. Swapping out the microscope for the telescope changes our entire perspective. It helps us magnify God and not our problems, which enables us to rejoice no matter what the circumstance. Again, we see this all throughout scripture. You know, like the the whole book of Philippians is known as the joy book in the Bible. But Paul wrote the entire letter from a prison cell. He was suffering incredible hardship while simultaneously teaching us to rejoice always, demonstrating that it's possible no matter what the circumstance. Again, he's like, all you have to do, just think about who God is, think about what God has done, and then you'll be able to rejoice no matter what comes your way. Guys, if you actually want to feel better after you pray, right? Because I think that's okay to want that, right? I think it's okay to want that. Like if you want to actually feel better when you pray, if you want to feel differently after you pray, no matter what's going on, then pray like this. Pray things through. Don't just send up a honeydew list to Jesus. Talk to him. Pray it through. Recognize who he is. Recognize what he's done. So all through my life, I have, uh, I've had a practice of prayer journaling, okay? So it's like I write down my prayers um, for lots of reasons. Um, one, I always fall asleep if I'm still, and so it just makes me stay awake. I feel like I'm just emailing Jesus. I can't read my own handwriting. That's also very helpful. Um, I, I, I prayer journal because I want to start and finish a prayer, you know, I don't want to just start and then move. And I, it's like there's a beginning and it's a dear Jesus. And then it's an amen. Um, and I also do it because when I look back, um, I like seeing all that God's done, you know. And I've been doing this um, for a very long time, uh, high school, but definitely college where it was on the computer. It dates me. Okay, so I can't read the handwriting from the high school ones. So it was probably wonderful. Um, but in the, in the, from computer on, I have all these prayer journals and what's really cool is that I have like found a pattern that, are, that like came in, in, into these journals, like as I'm reading it, like none of it was on purpose. I'm just praying to God. I don't have an acronym to follow. I don't know what's going on. But as I read the prayer journals, I'm seeing that I am, I am talking to God and I am, I am blessing him and I am thanking him. They start, it starts with Thanksgiving and it starts with praise, but then I have a moment where I just pour my heart out, and there's always something going on, so I'm just like dumping some kind of problem on, on him, I'm pouring my heart out, but then something beautiful happens that I've noticed later. It's like as if the Holy Spirit takes over, and I just start writing out, but God, you are this, and you are that, and God, you are able, and you are bigger than my problems, and your ways are higher than my ways, and God, you've always made a way, and God, you know what's best, and God, there's nothing you can't do. I, it's like, I don't know if I'm telling him or reminding myself, but it's the most beautiful thing. It's like, yes, this is hard, and this is, but God, you are this, and you are that, and then therefore, God, I love you, I trust you, it's in your hands, amen. I walk away feeling better after that. I go to sleep better after that. I've given it to the Lord. I, I, I remember who he is. I know he's got it. That is, a, that is a beautiful pattern 
that kind of happened on accident, but a pattern that then in the future has helped me through a lot of things. And so my prayer for you guys is that you will create this kind of pattern in your life so that when you need it most, it's there. When you need it most, you know how to do it. You, when you need it most, you're, you're, you have a deeper relationship with Jesus than just, dear God, please help. I feel better after those prayer times, and, and it's not because my circumstances changed, right? It's because my perspective did. All right, I'm going to invite you guys to stand. I just want to remind you that rejoicing in, good, in, in who God is and what he's done, it, it's not only just a way to praise him, but it's a way to deeply, deeply encourage you. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to practice right now. Uh, we're going to practice rejoicing in the Lord. Do you guys remember when God, um, not God, when Aaron, um, <laughs> whew, uh, when he first, when he first, when he first, uh, talked about pause and all he did was like stand here and stare at us. We all got uncomfortable for like a minute. We're like, what is he doing? Okay. Um, and it just showed how hard it can be to just pause, be quiet. Well, right now we're going to practice rejoicing. And so I'm going to invite you to just say time of prayer between you and Jesus, but I'm going to ask you to spend a few minutes with the Lord, but don't ask him for anything. Just praise him. It's harder. In the first service, I led the church in that and accidentally asked him. I'm like, oh man, gosh, this is hard, right? Like, no, we're just praising God. We're just telling him who's, uh, he's amazing and how, how good he is. And we're just worshiping him. So we're going to do that. And then we'll continue in, in song. We're going to continue worshiping him in song. So let's do that together. Lord, we come before you. We come before you. And we acknowledge your presence. And we bask in your goodness. God, right now, we just recall time after time that you have been faithful to us. There are those times where you did heal. You did provide. You did make a way. You are good. You are merciful. You are love. God, if you never did another thing for us, we would never run out of reasons to praise you. If you never did another thing, if you never answered another prayer, God, we would never run out of things to praise you. For all eternity, we would never run out. Because you are good and you are holy. God is great. God is good. And we thank you for who you are. You are a good, good father, and we love you. We adore you. We delight in you. Thank you for the way you see us. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way you delight in us, Jesus. We bask in your goodness. We give you all the praise. Be lifted up, be glorified. <laughs>